and welcome to the Word of Life Church Podcast. We're delighted you've chosen to spend some time with us today. We believe that today's message has the power to inspire and elevate your faith journey. Before we dive in, we'd like to express our heartfelt thanks to our partners. Your generous contributions make it possible for us to continue spreading the gospel, serving our community, and carrying out our ministry. If today's episode moves you and you'd like to be a part of our mission, we'd invite you to become a partner. Your support has an everlasting impact and allows us to reach even more souls. Now, let's turn our hearts and our minds to the Word as we begin today's episode. Um, today, we're going to talk about dealing with depression. Um, it was um, the, the last thing that I was asked to speak on. Uh, I read a statistic recently um, that said one um, out of every four Americans currently is dealing with this. Uh, when I began to research what depression is and how people defined it, both not just through a Google search, uh, but also talking to people who I know who have come out of it and asked them, what were you feeling while you were in it? Four kind of words kept coming up. Um, they'll put it up on the screens. Uh, worthlessness, hopelessness, uh, less enjoyment, meaning like there was a season of life where they were getting joy out of that, whether it was work or hunting or whatever, but it's like I just began to enjoy it less and less. I began to enjoy life less and less and low energy. Um, and the way I describe low energy is not just like I, I don't feel like getting out of bed, but like I don't feel like pursuing. And this came up big in my heart in prayer is like when you lose that press, like when you have a press in you, and it could be something as small as like I've got a press in me to like get stronger physically. To, to run a little faster, to, you know, run a little longer, a press in you to uh, grow, a press in you of like, I want my marriage to be better and I see it can. When you have press in you, you are right. Like there is something in you that is healthy. But when you lose that press, Paul said this one thing I do, I press. When you lose that press, something is off in your soul. And people who I talked to who, who came out of depression, they said, like, I was in that season where I was not fighting to take my life anywhere. Like, that appetite for life was just not there. Now, we know that in all of our lives, sorrow, grief, hurt, stress, fear comes to us all. And so many times throughout my walk with the Lord, and even in pastoring, I have seen Scripture weaponized against people who are dealing with emotion. And emotion is not wrong. Having emotion is not wrong. Anger comes to us all. Sorrow comes to us all. Grief comes to us all. And one of the scriptures that I've actually seen weaponized is a scripture found in 1 Thessalonians. They'll put it up on the screen. I even had this used against me when my father passed away. But brethren, we don't want you to be uninformed um, about those who are asleep. That means those who have died um, and, and those who have gone over to the other side so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. And, and I had that scripture, like, you know, don't grieve, don't, um, you know, be sorry, don't, you know, go through this period of sadness because your father's in heaven. And I'm like, well, I know that, but the pain that I'm having here on earth is still real. And this scripture is not like don't grieve, it's, it's don't grieve uh, like those who have no hope. 
Um, but literally, there's other scripture that shows us that we are to weep with those who weep. That we are, we are to come alongside those who are walking through emotion. And even in the life of our Lord Jesus, um, we see uh, uh, sorrow. And in fact, one of the scriptures that came up in my own heart was Isaiah 53. They'll put it up on the screens. It was a prophecy about Jesus. He was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, I want you to notice what it's, it's talking about here with the Lord Jesus, that in his life, when the prophet is seeing his life in the future and kind of getting a snapshot at it, he says he will be acquainted with grief, um, that he will be a man of sorrows. And we see that throughout Jesus's ministry, like Lazarus's death, he knew the outcome and he knew he would you know, rise again, but he wept. Uh, we see Jesus come up to a blind man, and when he does, he sighed. Um, we see these moments where he's in the Garden of the Gethsemane, and he has this pressure built up in his soul. And so in, in all of our lives, I say this to um, you know, absolutely bring it to a place where we can all find common ground, whether you're, you're dealing with depression or not, that surely we can all understand that as uh, humans, we go through things in life that hurt. We go through things in life that wound. We go through things in life that exhaust us. Um, it, it's funny, when I was looking at this um, and studying for it, I, I heard an example that I didn't think I would you know, be able to use for this, but it was about these gold, gold coins that were found. And it was talking about like how on the gold coins you'll see like the image of like Caesar or something like that. They're like real old, old treasures found in the earth. And they said how they used to kind of, you know, find the worth of these things. They would have those scales, you know, where you set one thing on this side and the other one on this side. And like whichever one weighs more, um, you know, that, that lets you see the more value. And so they would set an image of uh, the coin that had not been worn. That was brand new. Gold coin. Set it on one side. And then they would set the, the other one, the coin that was being traded in or used to, to buy something, on the other side, and it's like, well, surely they'll weigh the same, right? They're both gold coins, and they're both, you know, weighing the same. But the answer is, is no, because that gold would be worn. And over the process of, of time, it, it, it would be exhausted with pressure. Where it was worth less. And, and we go through seasons, and so when it was weighed, it would weigh lighter than the other. And it's like, well, this is 100 and this is 95, because this is exhausted. And you're going to go through seasons like that, and you're going to know people in your life who are going through seasons like that, where sometimes it's not even, and this is what I've seen in my own life, it's, it's not even like the big traumatic stuff, it's the low-grade pressure people live under every day. Um, the, the low-grade pressure of image management, of, of presenting something on the outside that's not exactly who they are on the inside. And out of that, that low-grade pressure begins to wear on the image of God that's on the inside of us, and, and we begin to feel like we're worth less than maybe before. In other seasons, we were this, but now because of this pressure, we're here. And, and I want to help you out of that. That we all go through emotion and we all feel that. And we don't forget we're Christians, especially those who know uh, better. Like we don't forget we're Christians. And so we remember to like count it all joy. And we remember to like, you know, have faith. And, and we remember to pray and yield and worship. We don't forget we're Christians, but we forget we're human. 
and so out of that, in, in dealing with, with humanity, over and over again in Scripture, we see the need to be refilled. We see the, the need to be restored. And I have found that our culture is very poor at doing that. And in fact, I think if I made most of you write down, what do you do to restore you? You wouldn't even know where to begin. Um, He restores your soul. If I asked you, what do you do to restore your soul? Would you even know? But yet it's depleted constantly because we're thinking about our children and we're thinking about, you know, our lives. And we, we're on, we got a news app now where we can get news all around the world and all of it screams one thing at us. You know what it is? Care. Care about this and see this and feel the hurt of this and feel the fear of this and feel the pain of this. And our soul uh, it's not used to managing that, and so it gets exhausted. And, and I want us to find a biblical way out. In the Old Testament, um, you see a lot of the prophets get really, really stressed, and it almost seems like they all became suicidal at one time or another because they would come to God and be like, I just want to go. Like, they just... This, the people and the management of this, like whether it was Jeremiah or Isaiah or like any of these people, Isaiah said, I feel undone. Have you ever felt that way before? Just, I'm done. <laughs> I have lost all ability to regulate myself. I am undone. And, and so out of that, um, you know, I could have picked any number of them to kind of with this message because they're feelers. They feel the pressure and they feel the world. Um, prophets do, but two that stood out to me uh, was Jonah and Elijah. And and, because they both were sitting underneath a tree thinking about their life being worthless and losing hope. And and really both exhausted. You you go through, you know, three nights in a well, I think that'll tax your soul (laughs) in some kind of capacity. Uh, But you have Jonah and you have Elijah and God handled them differently. And I want to talk briefly about Jonah, um, but then I kind of want to major on at the end of this message, Elijah. So Jonah is a prophet who's been sent to Nineveh to go command them to repent. He doesn't want to do it because he doesn't like them. Um, he is holding their past against them, and he knows God is merciful, and if they repent, they, they won't get judged. And so, and people think oftentimes he got on the boat to go to Tarsh because of, you know, fear. No, it wasn't fear. He hated them. And he knew that if he, he told them about the goodness of God and told them to repent, that they would repent and God would be gracious. And he didn't want God to be gracious to them. He wanted God to wipe them off the face of the earth. And so you know the story, he gets on the boat, he winds up, you know, storm comes because of his disobedience, which, you know, let's be honest, that's where a lot of our storms come from, is our own personal disobedience. And out of that, he's in this storm, he makes a decision to change, and, you know, they throw him over, so I guess it wasn't entirely his decision. Uh, <laughs> so he could have jumped. Uh, but, but out of that, they throw him over, and uh, a, a well or fish-like creature swallows him and spits him up on Nineveh. Uh, and he comes out, he preaches, they repent, it bothers him, he sits underneath the tree, and he's exhausted, he's depleted, he's depressed, um, he's wrestling with all this, and he, he tells the Lord, like, I just, I want to check out. And he's underneath this tree, and it's giving him shade, and the Lord comes, and he does something very interesting, he rebukes him. 
Now, I don't know about you, but one thing I don't like is being rebuked uh, by anybody. Um, but whom the Lord loves, oftentimes he corrects, especially, and you, you see this in the lives of your children, of when you know that's what they need. And he corrects him. And the thing that he corrects him on is, is really it comes down to, to this, this word, focus. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes when we're incredibly emotional, what's happening is, is we're not experiencing our life. We're experiencing the life we're focused on. Now, this is, I just said something that's like very, very simple, but I promise you it's a truth bomb that will rock your life. If you truly understand what I just said. You are not experiencing your life. Well, somebody says, yes, I am. I'm living it. I know you are, but you are not experiencing your life. You are experiencing the life you focus on. And at any given time right now, you could be an emotional wreck and have reason to be. I, I don't care if you just pull, pull up your news app right now and you could weep with, with people all over the world about the tragedy that's going on in their life if that's what you focus on. And many times that's necessary to have a heart of empathy and like with, with everything going on in Morocco now, that nation has been on my heart for a long time. I'm like, Father, was that why I'm supposed to pray and like that kind of thing? Like I, I could go there and I could think about that and I could focus on that and I could begin feeling guilt. I could be feeling shame. Like I could have prayed more. I could be feeling, um, you know, concern that could turn into fear, that could turn into all these things. Why? Because you experience the life you focus on. And right now, if, if you are focused on the one thing in your child that is off, you may miss the five things that are right in the other one. Um, if you focus on the one thing that is wrong in the church, you could find, miss the ten things that are great about it. Uh, same thing about our nation, same thing about our economy. You're not experiencing life. You are experiencing the life you focus on, which is why what Jesus said in the book of Matthew is one of my all-time favorite scriptures. They'll put it up, Matthew chapter 6. Watch what Jesus says here. But if your eye is bad, if your eye is bad. Now, this is very interesting. Jesus said, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If if your eye is bad, you'll feel it in your whole body. Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is dark, how great is that darkness? And he's saying what controls your body and how you feel is what you allow your eye to focus on. And if you focus on the wrong thing about your spouse and you focus on the wrong thing about life and you get a a negative eye where all your eye can see is the wrong things in life, sometimes you know what I need when that happens in my life? I need to be rebuked. I need God to come in my life and to tell me, Joel, look around you at all the wonderful things that you have in your life right now. See your wife, see your kids, see your blessing, see what what God has done for you. You know why? Because gratefulness, and listen to me, gratefulness and sorrow cannot live in the same soul. You can't be grateful and sorrowful at the same time. And so a lot of times what happens is we find ourselves in Jonah's life where we have, in Jonah's situation where we have a bad day or something didn't go the way that we wanted it to or something's, you know, happening in marriage and something, you know, just stuff. And we get an evil eye. And we begin to focus on those things. And the whole time my focus is on those things, darkness is flooding my soul. 
And Jesus said, if your eye is evil, your whole body will be filled with, with darkness. It'll be filled with heaviness. And so he's like, if you want to fix your soul, you got to fix your eye. If you want to change the inside, you've got to change what you're looking on on the outside. And, and whether it's a gratitude journal or whether it's like I refuse to, or, or like, you know, me and my wife, we have this, this principle in our life that anytime someone, you know, starts getting negative, we're like, negative Nancy and that kind of thing. Or, or she has this one thing, like the Eeyore thing. It's like, wah, wah, whenever I get kind of negative and I'm like, ah, you, you know, that kind of thing. But it's, we need that because sometimes we're like Jonah, we're seeing revival and we're finding the one thing we don't like about it. And then the plant over us dies and it's like another thing because all it is is we have trained ourselves to constantly look for the bad. And, and there are moments like that in my life and your life that happen on the regular. You've heard me tell the, the story before, but it, it, it bears repeating because I think it, it just shows how easy this is to happen. But on the day that I was, was getting married, like it's one of the, the happiest days of my life. I'm marrying this beautiful woman inside and out, wonderful. I'm feeling immense sorrow because I'm focused on my father not being there. And so, like, I have this wonderful moment on the outside of, like, coming to, to becoming one and this wonderful ceremony. I've got all these people there who love me, and I'm filled with, with life and all this beautiful moment around me. But because my focus is on the one thing in my life that wasn't right, it was costing me joy in the, the, thing, the season of my life where all these other things were. And, and the Lord came and, like Jonah, rebuked me. <laughs> Uh, and I needed it. Um, and it, it helped me of like I saw like how selfish I was being in that season. Um, that I, so many people would trade places with me. Um, and, and I want to encourage you that there are moments where your soul is capable enough to be rebuked. And when you find yourself there, take your rebuke and change your eye. Focus on the right because sorrow and gratefulness cannot exist in the same soul. But there are other moments in life where you're like Elijah. Uh, Jonah was bad. He had a bad attitude, bad focus. Elijah was not bad. Elijah was broken. And so God did not handle him the same way he handled Jonah. And you'll see this even in your own kids. Sometimes it's like, you know, what they need is just correction. That's just, they know better. But other times you see there's something deeper going on on the inside. And you have to handle that differently. And God sees you. And he knew that Elijah was not in position or a place where he could just say, get over it. Um, and be rebuked. He needed to be restored. And there are times in my life where I need to be rebuked. Um, and if Hebrews 12, if you're a son or a daughter of God whom he loves, he rebukes. He helps you. He disciplines you. But he also is a shepherd who restores. Uh, Psalms 23 shows us that before he walks us through valleys of shadow of death, he makes us lie down in green pastures and beside still waters. And Elijah, when you read his story, it's like he's a superhero. I mean, he's calling fire down from heaven, 
at his word, it's not raining for three years, and everybody despises him because of it. Like, have you seen how hot it's been because it hasn't rained? Imagine you could link one person as the resource to that. And now take that over three years. Um, you know, and that kind of thing. So even a lot of like the good people were like, I don't like that guy. Uh, you know, because he prayed and the Lord told him to. And it didn't rain for three years. So it's killing the economy. It's an agricultural-based economy. It's killing the economy. People aren't able to make money. And there's all this pressure on him doesn't phase him. God's like uber eating him with like ravens of like dropping food down every day. He's taking, you know, uh, the, the last meal in a widow's barrel and praying over it and it's multiplying and feeding her and him many days like superhero. And all of it's great until it wasn't. And in one moment he is triggered and dysregulated. Now, those are psychology words, and I've read enough about it to use them. <laughs> not, to, not to master them, uh, but to use them. Uh, there are things in life that trigger us, and some of these triggers are so strong that it dysregulates us, meaning it breaks us out regular thought patterns. And whereas before, like we're choosing the good uh, constantly, um, now I, I have an evil eye and I'm choosing the bad. I've been dysregulated. Something in life, an event, or the accumulation of low-grade pressure uh, dysregulates us, and now all of a sudden we're acting and behaving differently. And for Elijah, we find him here in this moment, and I want you to see it in the book of First Kings. Let's go over and look at it. First Kings chapter 19. Uh, Elijah, this uh, wonderful man, has just called down fire, and it was like super cool. He had him wet the altar multiple times and everything, and like God showed up so big in his life. After this, um, this crazy woman gets up and says, I'm going to kill you. Now, what's interesting is she had been doing this for the last three years, and it didn't bother him. But on this particular day, when he hears it, it penetrates that armor and it goes right to his heart and it dysregulates him to such a degree that he finds himself um, in the space we're about to read. First Kings chapter 19 and verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am not better than my father's. Uh, Do you see all those things that we mention of worthlessness? I'm not better than this. Hopelessness, there's no point. Less pleasure, it's like none of this is fun anymore. No drive. Um, Take my life. It's not worth it. And when God looks at him, he sees past the the, the flesh and he sees the heart and he sees his son is broken and is in need of healing. Now, I've only had one time in my life where I've ever felt this way, like broken. And it wasn't even after my father passing or those types of things. Um, It was after my greatest victory 
which is, is so interesting how these things work. But we, we built phase two of Lakeland, $20 million facility. Um, as soon as we opened it, we opened it with one. A couple of weeks later, we see we need three, three services. Like it, it just was a new wave of like God moving in our church. And so it, you, you've got 8, 30, 10, 11, 30. Before that, I had just gone off um, years of speaking Saturday night at 5.30, Sunday morning at 8.30, 10, 11.30, and 1. And um, could handle it. Um, I had immense amounts of pride, and I didn't even realize it until David White helped me see this one day. Of we had, um, I would often get up and say, we spend, the average church spends like 52, 52 cents of every dollar on staff. And we were in the 20s. And I would always say, and that's why we're able to give so much. And one day he rebuked me in a very healthy way and said, like, that's not something I'd, I'd brag on. We need more staff. You, and, and that kind of thing, like, I didn't see what, like, I was, I'd be in Egypt calling in payroll, on a mission strip, preaching multiple times a day, staying up at night to call him payroll. Um, I, I hired everyone. I fired everyone. Counseling, you know, all those types of things. And, you know, just live this life fully able. Like at this time, my daughter's 12, my other son is 10, and my other son is 5, so you've got that. And we open up, we're going to three services, everything on the outside is winning like it's never won before. And I sit down with my lead team and I'm like, I think I need a break. I think, like, I think next week I'm going to miss. And when I said that, I talked myself out of it with the help of the team of like, let's just wait a little longer. Like we just opened the facility, we have a lot of momentum. And we came back the next week, and we're having this meeting, and all of a sudden, in the meeting where we're talking about everything good but all of its work, I literally start to cry, and I can't stop. And the whole time this is happening, I feel shame. I don't feel sad. Uh, Because I wasn't sad. Um, It's like I felt broken. Of like something in me is not right. And I don't get it because everything on the outside is more than right. Um, and, but like the, the, the drive to go do something, like I'm like, I don't know. And so like my team is like looking at me and they're like, what do we do? Like this is the pastor. He's normally the one helping us. What do we do? And so Robert Berry, our pastor at um, um, our uh, um, Poindexter campus, he comes up behind me. He's like, let's pray. <laughs> Start praying for me. Uh, and you know what I felt when they prayed for me? More shame. Of like, no, I need to be praying for you. I, I could not wait to get out of that room. And that type of thing. But genuinely, I didn't know why I was crying. And I couldn't stop. I've never felt anything like it in my life. Um, and so, out of that, um, long story short, I felt like Elijah felt in this moment. 
of like you've just seen your greatest victory, fire has fallen from heaven, uh, but you're at this place where it's like, I don't know why this is triggering me like this, but I'm at a place where it's, it's not good, and I don't know exactly what this is or how to get out of it. And God came, and like Elijah, he didn't rebuke me. Uh, God came and showed me something I needed to change, and we're going to see it here, and I'll close. First Kings chapter 19. Um, he said that in verse 4, verse 5, he lay down and slept underneath a juniper tree. And behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said unto him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and beheld, there was um, 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 a head of a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and then he slept again. And the angel of the Lord, which is they say is Jesus, again a second time touched him. And said, arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. What a line that is. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, Uh, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, and the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenants. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword, and I am left alone. They seek my life, and they want to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending, and mountains breaking in pieces, and the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He told him again, I've been very zealous for the Lord. The God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenants, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I am left alone. They seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you will anoint Hazel over Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you will anoint king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, you will anoint as prophet in your place. Uh, there's a lot there for the sake of time. I'll let you read it when you get home. But I want, I want you to see a couple of things first. The first thing that the Lord does is before he gives him any type of spiritual thing, he comes and gives him physical things. Um, he, he comes and refreshes him physically. And uh, in my life, what, what I noticed at that season of time is that I had prioritized work over wellness. And if you asked me what wellness even was or what it meant to me, I don't know if I would have been able to tell you of like what restores my soul. I don't know. What equals fun? I don't know. I was eating for pleasure versus nourishment. Sleep was not a priority. Uh, My workouts, I was doing them in such a way that were were taking more life from me than giving life to me. And if you're going through this stage where you feel broken, I want to encourage you, like, what are you doing to refresh you? 
And, and for some of you, maybe you're not going through a stage where you feel broken. Let me ask you this. Do you want to be broken? Because what you see here from Elijah is that the Lord is showing him you're exhausted. And the thing that you were doing is, is not good because the thing that he links him to is you've got to give and delegate more to other people. And there's less that you need to be doing. Um, because out of this, the, the work is overtaking your wellness. And you need to focus on wellness. And, and I, I'm so thankful in one sense that I had that event happen in my life because it made me confront my lifestyle. It, it made me see food in a different way, exercise in a different way. It made me see the value of friendship in a different way. Um, it made me see I need more sleep. It made me hire more people. It made me delegate more tasks. Um, and it freed me up to be a better man. And somebody says, well, what do you mean by that? I never, ever was, in, in, in a sense, better to my wife or children. I became better to myself. That I began to, to love me and enjoy me and to connect with me. And so oftentimes as Christians, we focus on like, you need to connect with God and you need to connect with others. And, and very little on, on the importance of really enjoying you. And connecting with you. What equals fun? I didn't know. What equals rest? I didn't know. What equals life? I had to find it. And I went on that journey and it changed my lifestyle and it made everything better. The second thing that God took him to is he brought him to a place where he connected with him again. He brought him to Horeb, the mountain of God. So he changed all of these things physically. And when, one of the things that he did for him physically, and I thought this was interesting. I never saw it in this light until I read this, is he took him away from work for 40 days. Like that whole 40-day fast thing where he went in the strength of whatever that, I want that cake. Whatever that cake was made, like give me some of that cake. But he went in the strength of that thing for 40 days. I guess if Jesus makes it for you, it would work. Uh, so out of that, he goes in the strength of that. Uh, but 40 days away from work. And, and like sometimes what I've realized is tired eyes seldom see a bright future. And when your appetite for life is low, you need rest. Not sleep, rest. To get an, your fight back, your press back. So God changes all these things physically and then he reconnects with him spiritually and he takes him to Horeb, the mountain of God, and God meets with him. And, and when you are going through things where you feel like you are broken, I guarantee you this, you've had a disconnection with God in some way. And you need to find where that disconnection happened and how to fight to get it back. My disconnection with God, and this probably will make sense to you um, in, in pastoring and that type of thing, is there was so much around God. Like I'm, I'm studying scripture all the time to preach. I'm in church all the time to preach. I'm praying all the time to preach. And there were all of these things that I was doing to preach and to pastor. And so it feels like you're around God a lot, but you're not really with him. And so that's when I, I made a decision to go find a John Romick and, and other people where I'm like, they can preach for me. And sometimes I can have a weekend like you have where I just sit and listen to God speak to my heart. And I can go to church and I can go to other conferences and I can find a pastor to speak to me and I don't have to do it all the time. 
I know people want me to do it, which is great. If you don't want me to do it, there's a deeper problem there. Um, so, but I don't have to do it all the time. And I created uh, rules in my mind that weren't really the rules God wanted me to play by. And have you done that in your life? This morning, Luke, our campus pastor, I'll close with this. I know I just said that, but hey, we can keep trying. Uh, So out of that, uh, Luke, our campus pastor at Lakeland today, he's such a, like a man of the spirit. He's so prophetic, but he called me or he left me a voice memo. He didn't call me, but he said, I was in prayer today and I had a vision. And he said, the rich young ruler's coming home. I'm like, okay. He said, no, I saw it. He said, like there's a man who's coming to our services today who, who the world would label as rich, but he's sorrowful. Because like the rich young ruler, he's disconnected from God. The rich young ruler went away sorrowful because all of these other things were stealing his connection with Jesus. And the management of life and the management of kids and the management of dinner here and pick up and drop off and the management of life had taken away a connection with God. And for some of you, I feel like that's where you're at. It's like something has disconnected you from God and it's not even a bad thing. It's good, but it's not him. And as long as that disconnection with God is there, you're missing out on living by not bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. And one thing is needful. Mary has chosen it, sitting at his feet, hearing his word. And so in my life, I had to fight for that connection. And then I saw exactly what Elijah saw, is that when I changed my lifestyle and I focused on wellness over work, and then I I came to a place of like deep connection with God where I wasn't just going to minister for him, but I was going to allow myself to be ministered to by him. I saw God did the same thing for me as Elijah, is he gave him another dream. Because that's what you need to snap out of this. Depression is the lack of a thrilling future. And what happened in my life is the thing that I always wanted, I got. I got it at 35. The thing that my father worked his whole life to do, I did. And it's at 35 and it's like, what's next? I didn't know. And I didn't realize that at that moment where I'm facing all this, it's just I didn't have a thrilling future in front of me. And I would never have known what that looked like, but then God showed me through changing my lifestyle, reconnecting with him, he poured into me a new dream. And you've heard this water in my grass one day, just praying in the spirit, connecting with him, have a vision, see all of this. We have multiple campuses now and like it's blown up bigger than it's ever been, but it's more fun for me. It's more fun for me. And I want to encourage you, like, God wants to give you that. He wants to give you that connection. He wants to give you a fresh word. You know, Abraham, when Lot was separated from him, God said, lift up your eyes. And I know we focus on Lot being, like, bad for Abraham. But when you study what happened in that, it's an incredibly good season that Abraham had to let go of. The greatest problem he had with Lot in his life was, like, too many cattle. But out of that, there was this strife there. But I feel this prophetically, that some of you have gone through a period of strife and you're having to let go of someone in your life that you held deeply for. But your second act is gonna be greater than your first. 
receive that. Your second act, it's not, it's not over. The journey's not over. Your second act is going to be better than your first. Your second act is going to be greater than your first. And you might have just closed the chapter, but your second act, it'll be greater than the first. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your goodness and grace. Lead us with your presence. Guide us with your face. We love you, Lord, so much. Let's just lift our hands to him today. We love you, Lord Jesus. We surrender to you, Lord Jesus. We open up our hearts to you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your strength and your life. We thank you that you can quicken us, Father. We thank you you can pick us up and you can turn us around. We thank you for your spirit. And we love you, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.